It's been way too long, but I'm back with another Culture Coordinator podcast. This is founder of the Culture Coordinator, Kurt Earl, and today I'm just recording a live interaction with several people who jumped on to get some free coaching and outlining some of the things we are going to be providing over the coming months in our Culture Coordinator membership. So you're going to learn a lot here and learn a lot about what we really offer for just $60 a year. going to start with just the reality that I think systems are critically important. A lot of people would have uh, different opinions about what a system is and what that looks like, especially when trying to build a culture. But I think this James Clear quote really sums up what I want you to think about when I'm talking about systems. And he just says, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. I think that's really important that, that, you know, everybody, James Clear would point this out, everybody sets goals. The difference between the person that gets third at the Olympics or first at the Olympics or who doesn't make the Olympics at all because they couldn't get past their their Olympic trial stage or whatever it might be, isn't that those guys on the podium set goals. Everybody sets goals, right? Like, So it's not goals that make the difference. It's not even what types of goals, although I think that's important too. The most important thing is the the systems because we're going to fall down to the level of our systems. And that's something I've really been pondering for a few years. And especially this year, I think there's been some new things happened in our program that have really got me back into that. So systems, systems, systems. And that's what I want to try to hammer ho- home for you guys today and hopefully uh, show you that systems can be put in place in terms of building culture and thinking through culture. So every great coach wants to build uh, unity, develop people and win. You know, that, that, that's kind of the slogan that we use at Culture Coordinator. I use at Culture Coordinator because that's what we really want to be about. But, but few coaches really have a plan for designing and implementing a culture that truly drives success. And, and I was no different and I don't have it all figured out. I don't do this because I've got it all together. I do it because I want to be a person who sort of brings ideas together, interacts with people and sort of is the curator for all that and helps us all get better. So I was no different when I became a head football coach. I realized I had an offensive coordinator who replaced me as the OC. I had a defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator. But what I really needed was a, spe- a, a, a culture coordinator. Um, and, and the system that I'm going to use here and talk about and the things that I'll allude to today are really the exact things we did to go from in, in a two-year span from 0-9 to 8-2 and and be in the state quarterfinals. I mean, it's real-life stuff that we've done and put in place. Maybe not every single aspect every single year, but these are the things we're doing and trying to when we try to systematically install culture. So the system that I really want to talk about is for creating, installing a culture that drives success. That's what's really important, drives success. And it accomplishes, accomplishes this by teaching your athletes and all of your program stakeholders, however you want to define that, all of them, how to interpret the, the events of the season for the good of the program. And I think that's really important. We wanna teach people how to think. We're gonna talk about that a lot. Teach everyone how to think the way we think, the way the culture thinks. So there's kind of four, five, six sort of courses that I'm gonna be walking our members through. This one, this one's a freebie because it's just kind of like, here's what we do and here's some inspiring things to think about. And here's why I think this is so important. 
And so here's kind of an overview of, of where I'm going with my members over the next several months. Um, in the first one, you you know, members will learn about the culture coordinator and uh, what the what type of athlete are you survey, which is this thing that we've worked on for a long time at the school I work at and have, have kind of built it up with a lot of people that really helps you discover the strengths and weaknesses of each individual athlete in your program and then the team itself. And then the second course of the system is really about how to build trust and begin to create what I call an audience independent culture. We might talk more about that a little bit later. Uh, and then we move on to learning how to gain trust and, and you learn how to create and cast your unique vision in a, in a compelling way and in an inspiring way, uh, whether it be through some in-person gatherings, phone calls, emails, text messages, lots of ways that you can build and develop an inspiring vision. And then as you kind of round out the system and the things that we'll talk about, it's just uh, the idea that the system teaches you how to build unity using the team discipline uh, uh, system that we have and using uh, uh, the other systems we have for training leaders and teaching your athletes how to use all of the stuff like the levels of motivation and what type of athlete survey are you, what's your true ambition, all these sorts of things. You're teaching your athletes how to do it. And, and you're, you're hopefully hearing that it's all about re, helping people reframe the way they think. So it's about proactively addressing the frustrations that come when athletes, parents, stakeholders are not united in a shared ambition. But we're all, what I'm really trying to help you do is get everyone connected on the same thread, really wanting the same things and striving for the same things. And, and when you've done that, then you've got a culture that can last through the ups and downs, that isn't sort of a one hit wonder, that will, will go through some tough years, much like my team had this year, but in a way that everybody still believes we're on the right track. And they don't just believe that because you're really good at fluff and, and circumstance, they believe that because they see the way the system is unfolding and we're just not quite there yet, okay? so. With that in mind, the thing I'd like to say is, uh, the next thing I'd like to talk about is just that there's one big mistake. There is, there is one big mistake I think I see coaches making when they set out to create great culture. And the number one mistake I think I see coaches making is that they focus all their attention on modifying behaviors rather than transforming motivations or transforming the way people think. And let me just kind of take a moment to explain why I think this is a big problem. Okay, focusing on modifying behaviors is a huge mistake because you set your, you set your culture up to be one in which a reward or a punishment must always be present in order to get anything worthwhile accomplished. If there's no reward or no punishment, nothing gets done. And if your athletes will only give their best when reward or punishment is present, you're creating an entirely a, a culture entirely dependent on extrinsic motivators, right? We know the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic. And you will likely, if that's how your culture is, if you do it well, successfully modifies behaviors, but you won't, you won't build a culture founded on trust, on love for each other and love for the program. And so creating a system of rewards and punishments is in fact the fast track to results because it's really easy to modify behaviors when you've got the right rewards and punishments in place. And it's, it's the fastest way to go because it's a lot easier than transforming motives or transforming the way people think. A system of rewards and punishment is also the fastest path for lifting up your team leaders and weeding out athletes who don't belong on the bus, who flat out shouldn't be in the program. 
But in the end, focusing on modifying behavior by using rewards and punishments leads to a shallow and easily broken culture. There's not a lot of trust. There's not a lot of loyalty. There's not a deep bond of brotherhood or a sisterhood. And in the most critical moments of the season, I'm a football coach. I often use third and 10, the district championship on the line. In those moments, okay, no one's going to be motivated to go above and beyond. No one's going to be motivated to stick their neck out on the line and, and do what they need to do to make sure it happens um, because ultimately they, they may not want what lies ahead enough to do that. Whereas when you go beyond modifying behaviors, you will get that type of motivation. You will get that level of, of um, just bought in, desire to get it done no matter what. So here's my first big point of the night that I think is important for you to have as a mindset. I believe, and I know from experience and from what I've seen uh, in other programs, that truly great culture coordinators resist the temptation to get fast results by merely modifying behaviors using all sorts of um, rewards and punishments. And, and the truly great ones focus their attention on transforming the motives, transforming the way their athletes think, because they know it leads to a much deeper, much longer lasting type of success. It leads to a true change, a true culture that can stand up in the worst of storms and yet stay humble when it's clear, sunny skies and you're on, on top of the mountain together. So great cultures teach their athletes to be motivated by a love for the game, a love for the teammates, a love for the program. They teach them to think that way 24-7, 365, not just in practice, not just in workouts, not just in the competitions. And athletes who are really motivated by love like this uh, will go an extra mile in the most critical moments of the season. And they'll go the extra mile in the, in the moments that no one sees in the weight room workouts that have to be awesome in the off season, day in and day out, they'll go the extra mile because there is a deep desire to contribute to something far deeper than themselves, far bigger than themselves, greater than themselves. And to do that with unity and purpose with people they love and they've been around and they've developed a deep bond with. So that's really the heart of the first kind of uh, course you might call that we're going to do following this. Um, we're going to seek to um, from here, uh, teach people how to use the what type of athlete survey that we've created. And the deal with the what type of athlete survey that we've created is that it really gives you an opportunity to understand what is what your players are thinking, what their greatest ambition is, what their motivations are, how they respond and think live in the games or in competitions, and then work with them from there. I used to, as the culture coordinator, kind of put out this motivation assessment, which was kind of version 1.0 of this thing and have people send me the results and I would interpret it and give it back to the coach, have all these things to do. And it, it's just not feasible. It's not scalable. I can't keep doing things like that. What I can do is create these situations right here where I teach you how to do it, offer opportunities for Q and A so that you can use our survey that I've created and then interpret the results for yourself and know what to do next. And maybe ask a question in a follow-up member um, meeting like this one on Zoom and maybe get some good answers uh, to your questions. And so that's really the first step, the first thing that uh, we'll do next as we go forward with the members throughout this. Okay, the next big idea that I want to put in front of you is, is to really think about what is the purpose of culture? What is this really all about? So in 2016, when I was really getting into this stuff and just eating up anything that had to do with culture, not that I don't now, I guess, but I was really into it at the time. Tim Ferriss, who is someone you might know, 
uh, kind of a business-minded guy that has a lot of uh, uh, self-help type stuff for people in terms of just being more productive or staying focused, whatever it might be. In 2016, he put out a simple tweet that really got me thinking. And here's what the tweet read. It says, as much as I dislike vague talk of company culture, I like this definition. What happens when people are left to their own devices? That's what your culture is. What happens when nobody's looking? That's what your culture really is. And then a few weeks after that Ferris tweet, I was I was actually named the new head football coach right after that. That was right in that time frame. I was getting really into culture because I was pretty sure I was going to get the opportunity to be the coach at our school after having been an assistant for 10 years and thinking, man, I got to be ready for this. If this happens, I got to be ready. So it rang loudly in my head as I began to take my first steps as the new head coach. And, and our former head coach had built a solid co culture over the years. We had a lot of success and a lot of great things. But a lot was changing in our school, and it was time for a solid refresh. Like we had to rethink and, and not change who we are, but make sure that we were re-upping the ante and, and really improving the way we, we communicated it. So I spent a ton of time uh, that first year um, just attempting to create and install a culture and grow our culture and, and build on what we already had from our previous head coach. And after my first season as head coach, I realized that um, I'm the culture coordinator. I'm that thing that I alluded to earlier. I, that's a position that I got to have. It's not my official title per se, but I got to do it. And other coaches on my staff are tasked with coordinating other things, but I got to coordinate the culture and it, it's got to be my uh, full-time focus, so to speak. So as I pondered the Ferris tweet and ideas I'd learned from articles and podcasts on, on culture, uh, my mind grew more and more confused about how to really define it. You, you, you know how you kind of get to that point where it's like, you, there's so much and like, how do I even bring this together in a way that's cohesive and makes sense to me? Well, at that point, I got really lucky to catch Brian Kite and Focus 3 back when it was called Focus 3 and he was working with his dad more um, on kind of the upswing as he was getting really big and, and he was able to come into Lincoln uh, for next to nothing at that point. We did a coaches training in the morning and then we worked with just my team in the afternoon. And there were a ton of pearls of wisdom from that day. But here's the big one uh, that brought that, that brought clarity to the question, what is culture? Because the ironic thing there was he didn't even attempt to answer that question. He asked a much better question. And that much better question was, what is the purpose of culture? And I, and I think that's a big paradigm shift. Because as soon as he asked that he, the question, my mind began to realize I'd been asking the wrong question and was and was therefore not finding answers that satisfied me. Okay. In asking what is culture, I was sort of asking what is football and hoping for the answer to be West Coast offense or 425 defense. Like I was hoping that I would ask a question that was really broad and get some really specific answer, not realizing the question was so broad that I was never going to get anywhere with things. So the question that, that started to ring true in my mind and that I was chewing on again and again was. What is the purpose of culture? And according to Kite and the Focus 3 team, at that time, they were really preaching, and I think they say, still say something pretty similar. They said, the purpose of culture is to drive behaviors that win. So he went on to say, Kite went on to say, the purpose of culture is not to make people feel good or comfortable. The singular purpose of culture is to drive the behaviors called for by your strategy. So Suddenly, the most obvious question was, well, well, how do I define winning and what are my strategies for creating wins? And so if you just think about it, notice that the train of thought there, what is culture to what is winning and how do we make winning happening? So we went from kind of the abstract 
big idea down to concrete. What does that really look like? Now, I'll come back to this, but ultimately, I decided that we don't make winning happen, happen by modifying behavior, right? We make it happen by transforming the way people think, by transforming people's motives. So the thing that I really clung to was that, you know, what is winning? And, and our current sport, sports culture is so focused on individual stars and not on amazing teams. And so not so much, not like it used to be, maybe when we were kids, hate to sound like an old guy like that, but it's true, right? So our current sport, sports culture is more focused on those stars. And as a result, winning or success is defined a thousand different ways right now. Like growing up, Winning was the team wins the game. The team wins the championship. And now winning, success, as you might put it, is, is defined differently by athletes, uh, by each individual athlete, depending on what they're trying to get out of your program. And so one of the things we have to do is go beyond just modifying behavior to get what we want and train them to think more deeply about what it means uh, to, to win, to be successful. And to not be all about that college scholarship or the all-conference accolades or breaking school records. And at the same time, this focus on individuals also manifests, manifests itself in a lack of loyalty to teams. Like, like, for instance, growing up, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to play for the Trojans of Longmont High School. Because I grew up in Longmont. My dad was a basketball coach at Longmont. Uh, my mom grew up in Longmont. I lived on the west side. There's no chance I was going to the east side school skyline. That is unheard of, could never happen, would never even consider it. <laughs> and, and that type of loyalty to the school in your neighborhood is just flat out dying, right? I mean, I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. We have open enrollment. It's, it's not really about where you live so much anymore at all. And it's really important to see that that's gone away. So more and more high school players sort of see themselves as free agents choosing the school that best meets their needs, right? And even at this point, we see guys often announcing, even as eighth graders, hey, I'm going to this high school, I'm going to that high school, like that sort of idea has trickled all the way down into the 14-year-old mind, right? And so we have to know these things. And I'm not even judging all of that here. I'm just pointing out some facts as we go to make a point about what is the purpose of culture. So what does this have to do with winning and defining winning and success. Well, it means that your team is filled with players who are all defining success differently. So the single most important thing you can do is get everybody unified around a definition of success because some don't even care if you went on the scoreboard if they get their stats, right? And others define sex, success as being a starter or having their playing their favorite position or um, can't imagine doing anything else and could hardly care about the team goals. So, so here's my point. If you're going to create a culture that drives behaviors that win, you first have to define winning and sell your players on that definition. But remember, the number one mistake I see coaches making is merely modifying behaviors rather than focusing on changing the way their athletes think and what motivates their athletes. So truly great culture coordinators drive behaviors by molding and shaping people and changing what motivates them inside. And that's another big aspect of what this whole system that I've put together that is, is available in the once a month trainings for our members is all about. A big part of it is the levels of motivation, which I've tweeted over the, over the years and which is out there. You can certainly see it. But part of what I want to provide for our members in these training sessions is how do you have conversations that help athletes move up the levels of motivation 
and don't get stuck at fear, shame, and pride at the bottom and move from audience dependent to audience independent further up the scale. So that's a big part of what we need to do. And again, if you want to ask questions at the end of this, feel free or interrupt with the questions at this point. But, but we've got to define success. We've got to get everybody excited about that. And so the next thing we got to talk about then is, well, well, well how, do we, how do we do that, right? What does it look like to get people excited about that? So I want to continue on some themes I've already talked about and then offer some, some ideas I have and then, and then even some practical advice here. So one of the things that's really tough about being a head coach in, in, in this time frame here where we um, are teaching and coaching at this point is this idea of, it's two ideas really, this I, but uh, the ideas of information and opportunity symmetry. And, and give me a minute here, I'll explain this to you, but you know the traditional task in coaching of managing equipment, communicating with coaches, players, parents, administration, motivating players, that, that's all still part of what we do, right? But new responsibilities have emerged. In our modern context, great coaches recognize they must be great marketers. That's flat out bottom line. And that doesn't mean you have to be a cheesy salesperson that you sort of feel slimy about, but it does mean you got to think about some things. And, and good co head coaches, culture coordinators in this, in our modern context, understand that a critical aspect of their job as the head coach, and maybe even the most important aspect of their job is creating a brand or an identity for their program and selling that brand to all the program stakeholders. Now you've got your logo, you've got the things that just has to do with the school, but there's an identity, there's a brand to your program. At Lincoln Christian, where I teach and coach, you know, it's, it's that we're going to build ambassadors for Christ and get them prepared to go out into the real world through the game of football. We're going to do that through a lot of discipline in the offseason, through a lot of um, intentionally building up brotherhood and leadership. We're going to do that through the old school flex bone offense because we're often undersized. But we got a lot of really smart, committed kids. We're going to do that through a 3-4 defense that offers a lot of different looks and stunts and blitz and packages and all these things. That's kind of our brand and the way we talk about who we are and the way we sell what we're doing. And, and before we talk more about that, let's just talk about why we need to sell. Because whether you like it or not, a great head coach is in the business of marketing and sales. And that's just the way it is now. And let me just explain to you why, why I believe that and why I think you need to embrace that too. If you're not convinced um, that the previous statement is true, that we're all sort of in sales, that we need to market, know, know how to do things, I would really take time to read a book written in 2013 by Daniel Pink titled, To Sell is Human. In the book, Pink carefully outlined several reasons why all of us are now in sales. He, he just thinks everybody is now because of the way things are. As a head coach, the reason that caught my attention and made me realize that selling is now a critical component of building a strong culture and a strong program was a concept Pink calls information symmetry. So the first idea is information symmetry. And this is straight from Pink's book, To Sell as Human. So he comes, he, he uses the example of a used car lot, you know, like 20 or 30 years ago, and even more than that now. Uh, a customer came to a used car lot looking for a car with no ability to really obtain any information on his own about the car. The customer only knew what the salesman told the person or told the customer at the car lot and had very little to validate the claims of the salesman. I mean, that's why used car lots have used to have a bad rep, right? Because <laughs> that salesman could say anything. There was no, there was no way to, to know if it was true or false. And so Pink refers to this old reality as information, information asymmetry, because all of the information was in the hands of one person, the, the used car lot salesman. The buyer really didn't have anything. 
And so it was asymmetry. It wasn't symmetrical. Okay. And then now that we've gotten to this age of the internet, this paradigm has changed, you could say completely, really in some ways, but drastically for sure. Now, if you show up to a used car lot, and maybe some of you have done this recently, you come to the used car lot knowing just about everything about the car that you're interested in buying. You can literally know almost everything from looking it up online and showing up at the lot like, I want this one and this is why. Let's talk about a deal, right? So thanks to companies like Carfax, the customer and the salesman have roughly the same amount of information, or it's now symmetrical, it's identical. Um, and that's this idea of information symmetry. So this new paradigm, and, and trust me, I have a point here, that Pink calls information symmetry has completely changed the way in which a good salesman at a used car operates, right? He, he's, he's thinking totally differently than he did 30 years ago. So, so what does this have to do with coaching and building cultures? Well, the same transition from information asymmetry to information symmetry has taken place in coaching. 20 or 30 years ago, the local high school coach knew all the critical information about what it took to build a great athlete and a great program. And he was really the only one in the town that really knew all that stuff or knew or in the attendance area, right? Now, parents and players have access to a lot of that same stuff. Like they could be listening to this right now. They could, they could go to resources, um, um, uh, uh, online coaching clinics and know a ton about how to coach football, how to build cultures, what to do in basketball, how to run uh, 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 the, the hurdles in track and field, whatever it might be. And you have to understand that as a coach, um, you are now operating in this information symmetry and the customer or the athlete and his family or her family are now like the, the, the customer at the used car lot. They have information too. And as a coach, you know from experience that your most ambitious athletes and parents have acquired just enough information to be dangerous, right? They know a lot now. The information is, is symmetrical and they need some help interpreting and applying what they know. But they know way more than you and I ever knew and way more than our parents knew. And they need a different kind of help. They need help interpreting what they know. Anybody can Google, anybody can watch and learn, but really applying that with wisdom to the current context that's your unique spot. That's where you can start to define culture. That's where you can start to rally people around a specific definition of success. So this reality, which Pink calls information symmetry, can't be ignored. And it's part of what every great coach or part of why every great coach must be a salesman. And as a coach, you have to sell your culture. You have to sell your strategies, your techniques, your practice schedule, your off-season conditioning program. The list goes on and on. And like it or not, you can't ignore it. You can hate it, but you can't ignore it. And so you might be thinking to yourself, so what if information symmetry exists? How does that make sales a part of coaching? I still don't really follow your point. Well, here's the deal. Information symmetry means that we are in sales because another type of symmetry has emerged as well. And this is this opportunity symmetry that's on your screen. 20 or 30 years ago, athletes played for the school in the neighborhood, right? Like I was not confused as a 10-year-old who I was going to play for when I grew up in football, basketball, track, baseball, didn't matter, right? I knew what I was doing. They were loyal to their local high school in part because there really weren't other options. You see where I'm going with this? There would, I, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't play for a school on the other side of town unless we moved our house, like unless we moved locations, right? Moved to a new house. So they had one opportunity and they chose to either make the most of that opportunity or to not participate. 
And we know most of you coach in situations where the landscape has changed entirely. There's either, <clears throat> well, let me just slow down. I mean, transfer rules at the high school and college level allow for some of for some form of workaround so that students can transfer and be eligible for competition, right? Like you can be eligible quicker than ever at every level. Athletes and parents now have choices and players are increasingly seeing themselves as free agents, like we talked about earlier, at the school that meets their needs. And by the way, I see this happening academically as well, okay? Sometimes students leave one school for another on the academic side of things and based on what's available there too, right? It's not just athletics, but it's all sorts of things. And all of this leads to what I call opportunity symmetry. But, but what I have described thus far is only the beginning of opportunity sy symmetry. And this is the, the part that I was gonna mention earlier, but wanted to wait here, like club sports, opportunities beyond the local high schools, opportunities that go year around. These are part of the opportunity symmetry as well. And it's not just that there's other opportunity, it's that those other opportunities are often seen as having certain unique advantages. And so you're up against those things and you've got to pay attention to those things. And again, you can love it or hate it, but you can't ignore it. These two things, information and opportunity symmetry are real things. So I just wanna be clear, like I'm not a huge fan of some of these realities. I don't think athletes and parents know nearly as much as they think they do, right? Or that they believe is, or that they, as much as they think or believe they do, I should say. Um, and I think the high school coach is needed in a really unique way, or the college coach is needed in a really unique way. And, and, and the merits of the parents and players' perception isn't really the point here, whether or not they're right, that they really have information and opportunity symmetry, I guess, isn't so much the point. The, the, you know, I'm not attempting to argue to the, about the degree to which this stuff is true. The reality we must accept is that information and opportunity symmetry are perceived to exist to a significant degree. And this means that part of being a great coach is being a great salesman because you've got to market your program as worthy of their time because there's so many other programs um, buying for their time and energy and money. So remember that despite the fact that information symmetry exists at the used car lot, there is still a need for a car salesman. The car sales for the, or the car salesman has been forced to tweak their game a bit. And we would be wise as coaches to recognize we need to tweak our game a bit too. We've got to help people interpret the information that they're now getting in that in this in this situation. We've got to help people interpret the strengths and weaknesses of various opportunities and learning how to like create a vision statement, a vision or an ambition statement, an ambition story, a definition of success, how to rally people around that. That's a big part of the training that will start going on once a month for our members as we walk through this culture coordinator system. So that's kind of the third big thing, information and opportunity symmetry. So just to make, just to review real quick, we've got um, the number one mistake I see coaches making, what is the purpose of culture and then information and opportunity symmetry. The next thing I want to talk about is how to market and how to sell just real high level 10,000 foot view stuff. And, and it really comes down to why, what, how. So, you know, it's become kind of a fad over the last 20 years or so to really get into the labels of generations, right? Are you a Gen Xer? Are you an old, are you an old grandpa millennial like me? Um, at 40 years old, I'm about as old as they come and still be considered a millennial. 
Uh, maybe you've been coaching for a few decades and you're a baby boomer. I don't know what, what, what your <laughs> specific um, generation is called, but um, I also, and I don't know what, uh, what the, the new professional name might be. There's Gen Z, there's all these different things, but, but the thing I call our, our players right now is generation Y generation Y. And I say that because they always ask why they want to know the why they're frustrated when they don't know why you're asking them to do certain things. And not only do they ask why, but most of them in most situations aren't too inclined to do much of anything until they know exactly why they're doing it. And they decide that doing it is worthy of their time. So this characteristic is both frustrating and commending. It's frustrating because even after you have established a great deal of trust with your players, they still refuse to do much of anything if you haven't clearly articulated the why. Side note though, like articulating the why is part of how you build trust. So keep that in mind. Like if they know why, they're gonna trust, right? So they need to be constantly reminded of the why behind every aspect of your program. And not only that, but many of them aren't going to remember the why or understand the why until you've clearly articulated it multiple times, right? As a coach, part of what you have to do in responding to information and opportunity symmetry is grow incredibly patient with explaining the why. And this can sometimes be my biggest fault because I get impatient. I, I feel like I've explained it a ton and it's where it just gets frustrating. At the same time, wanting to know the why behind everything uh, is also commendable because it demonstrates that your athletes desire to think more deeply about the why than to just do this or that. So nine out of 10 times, asking about the why is not a tactic for avoiding work or avoiding working hard like we so often think or assume. It's a genuine desire to be purposeful. And, and that's a big thing that we'll come back to, providing purpose. When you and I were playing, how often did we just do something because the coach asked us, you know, just because the coach said so, right? Like we were constantly doing things that way, but generation Y just simply is not wired that way. That they, they essentially demand that the why behind everything is constantly being explained to them. And you can't resist that, uh, or I'm sorry, you can resist that or you can embrace it. You know, it's really just your choice, what you want to do. But I'm telling you, embrace teaching the why because it's the number one way to build up trust with a group of young people that is really desiring to build relationships and have a lot of purpose. We'll come back and talk more about that more in a minute. Our teams are full of athletes who are just waiting to work hard for a coach who is willing to patiently explain the why all the time. But it's also important to recognize that merely teaching the why isn't enough for this generation of people. They're also craving another characteristics from their coaches. And this is one I've been alluding to. Generation Y demands that their coaches love them and care about them as people, not merely players, not merely athletes. There's an old cliche that I think is ringing more true than ever before. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think this group of people, <clears throat> this group of young people is more concerned with that than any group ever before. And can you blame them? Look at the leadership they've seen. Look at, look at the way um, political leaders on every side of the aisle have, have betrayed their followers. Look at the way that um, leaders in their local community have been um, um, unfaithful to the cause, so to speak. It, it, you can't blame them. This is a natural phenomenon for them. So when players and coaches understand the why, 
then you can start to explain the what. So this is why we do things. This is what we're going to do because it helps us accomplish the why. And here's how we're going to do that. These are the real specifics, okay? So we run a flexbone offense, old school triple option, because it provides the best matchups for us because we're often undersized. We got really smart guys who can learn all the details and really master it and execute consistently. That's the why, right? The what is the play, you know, uh, 12 veer or inside veer, however you label it. And then the how is the specific details of how each position group gets it done. That's a way to break down this why, what, how. And I think that if you're good at this and creative with this, and you're doing this in everything, emails to parents, communication with coaches, communication with stakeholders, communication with players. If your practices are structured with reminders of the why, here's the what, here's the how, practice the how. Like If that's how you operate, this is all you have to do in terms of marketing. You just have to get really good at this and really creative at this. And I think that's really important to see. And there's some specific things I think you should be doing in your annual calendar when it comes to parent meetings, when it comes to building brotherhood or sisterhood in your, your athletes, when it comes to communicating throughout the season or in the preseason, all these different things um, that I think are really important. But if you're just creating why, or if you're just communicating why, what, how in creative, fun, exciting ways that are attracting people to you, that's all the marketing you have to do. And again, that's a big part of what we're trying to offer here through our annual, or I'm sorry, our monthly meetings for um, our members. Okay. So let's just wrap up this and then I'll open the floor to any questions you might have, but let's start. This is just kind of a rant, a, a, a wrap up of the things we've talked about. Good cultures, great cultures transform the way people think and what they're motiv motivated by. They mold and shape people, not just players, not just participants. They market things well and they build relationships and purpose. And that's, that's what you've got to have systems in place for. And there's some of you like that, that are, might be listening or now or are listening to this later as it's as it's played on the podcast or whatnot that are just flying with ideas right now. And that's great. <clears throat> and what I want to come alongside you and do is provide systems for that and and give you the opportunity to really understand how you can systematically go about getting some of this stuff accomplished. So with all that in mind, I guess I'd just like to open the um I just like to open the floor just to conversation. You can throw uh, something in the chat. You can <clears throat> um, uh, unmute yourself and ask and ask questions, whatever that looks like. And I'll just do my best to answer and be helpful here for a little bit. And we'll wrap up maybe mm, 9 p.m. if it goes that long, like 15 minutes or so. So feel free to shoot questions in the chat or to um, add, just unmute yourself and ask them uh, in, uh, in person. Any questions, guys? None so far. Hey, while you guys are thinking about that, maybe here, what I'd like to do is just put in the chat for you guys <clears throat> the link to what it, to the join page of Culture Coordinator and just, you know, like basically tell you what, what we do and what we really offer and what it's all about. So for $60 a year, um, you get these once a month meetings. This is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be systematically walking through uh, each step of the process so that you can really build a culture that leads to change and drives behaviors, but more importantly, transforms minds and the way people are thinking and rallies everybody 
around um, unity and purpose. Um, and, and the point of all this is that you would be equipped to do the work yourself. I have resources I give you. You take your copy, you run with it. You, you take the, <clears throat> um, the what type of athlete survey and you give it to uh, your athletes and then I teach you how to interpret that and what steps to take next. So um, that's really what it's all about. And, and, and it, it's just this interplay of your reality and my reality and the ideas and, and collaborating and bringing that all together and me helping you really think systematically about those things um, each, each and every day. So if we don't have any questions, that's okay. Uh, if you've got questions um, <clears throat> for me, you can always shoot me an email um, at culturecoordinator14 at gmail.com. Culturecoordinator.com um, is the website. If you go to culturecoordinator.com forward slash join, you can become a member in a matter of a couple of minutes. It's pretty simple uh, credit card pay. But one more la last chance, guys. Any questions you guys got for me? Anything you might want to hear before we call it a night? All right, guys. Well, thank you for your time. And I really appreciate uh, all that you guys are doing because I know it's hard work. What big reason why I do this is because I know it's really hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for everybody. And the more that I can uh, help empower coaches, the more you guys can go out and really make a difference. I think you guys are the biggest difference makers in your community, um, above politicians, above uh, uh, any, any other position in your community. And, and along with some other people, you can really, really make a difference. And, 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 uh, do a good job with things. <clears throat> Steve, you're welcome. Thanks for, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, anybody else? Yes, Mike, you're, you're welcome as well. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. And, and uh, let me know if you got questions. And I'd love to see you guys join and become members and, and really be a part of this every month. I'm looking forward to this new format and really excited about the interaction that may not always happen live, but people can watch, can think, can ponder, can send me questions. We'll, call, we'll, we'll find a way to coordinate all those and really, and really get the most out of them. So take care, guys. The plan is to have these live coaching sessions every second Monday of the month, and I guarantee that you will get your $60 per year out of your membership and it will help you be the culture coordinator guru of your program.